This, uh, this past Tuesday, I did something I don't usually do. I went uh, outdoors. Um, <laughs> that, that pretty much covers it. Uh, we went canoeing. My son is preparing for his canoeing merit badge, and so uh, they're doing this practice. They did uh, Taku Lake. They did some canoeing there, and they did some canoeing in um, uh, uh, Campbell Creek this past Tuesday. And uh, we were told... We needed to, uh, to be ready for it because the, the water was high and it was fast. And um, so I learned uh, all kinds of ways not to canoe. Um, it's, uh, I did also learn how to swamp a canoe and how to get out of a canoe and lose your oar. I, I practiced that particular move several times. So, um, so I learned a lot about canoeing this, this week. And, and, and I learned that it's deceptive because there are a billion decisions you've got to make. Campbell Creek is like uh, a turn every... 50 or 100 feet, um, and, you know, it just winds like this, and there's trees hanging over it, and there's a, a, a submerged logs you can whack your shin on if you're out of your boat, which you shouldn't be, um, uh, and um, so I learned there's all kinds of decisions you have to be making as you, as you go through this uh, uh, process, but it's deceptive, right, because it's so beautiful. You're like, oh, look, there's a moose and her calf, and we're running into the tree right next to them. So because we were looking and not paying attention, we weren't doing what we should have been doing. We should have been paying attention and we weren't. And so uh, there's all these decisions that have to be made. And there's this way you kind of drift, right? It's, it's water and it's moving and you drift. And if you're not making decisions, then you drift into the bank or you drift un- under the tree and you, you make the mistake of leaning backwards, which you do not do. You lean forwards because if you lean backwards, then the boat goes over and so forth. So, so I learned a lot about how not to canoe. Um, and uh, I was thinking about it because, because it reminded me that that series of, of decisions that come at you as fast as can be and, and if you make a, a simple mistake now then the boat's half full and that means you don't have as much maneuverability at the next mistake which will be about two seconds from now um, and so you, you wind up making a lot of mistakes that way so I learned that this kind of process of, of, of one mistake after another or one decision after another and even if they're not all mistakes they add up and you wind up in a place you don't want to be. And it reminded me of, of the story, uh, on a much less humorous note, of the woman who crashed into Margot's car last fall. Um, I, I don't think I've told this story here, but there's the story of the woman who, who um, she, was, she, she and her boyfriend decided to break up, apparently. And so he, she loaded up everything she had into her truck. And that was, maybe that was a good decision, I don't know. Uh, but it was probably not a good decision to go in a truck that didn't have a rearview mirror. Um, because she had a big camper in the back filled with stuff. She couldn't see out the regular rear view, you know, the, the main rear view mirror. And she didn't have one on that side uh, because it had gotten broken off at some point. And uh, she, she loaded her cat in the, in the front seat with her um, because her boyfriend probably wouldn't have taken care of the cat. So, I mean, the decisions have a certain logic to them. But as she was headed out of town, um, off toward uh, somewhere in the L.A. area, I don't know where, as she was headed out of town, she realized she needed gas. So she sped up. Um, to pass Margot on, on the left um, and then cross in front of her, uh, crossing her lane and, and wrecking. Margot couldn't stop in time, so, so there was a collision. And I don't doubt that every one of her decisions made sense to her or a certain amount of sense. She was also driving under the influence, so uh, that gets back to what Larissa was saying. Um, uh, there was a certain logic to her decisions, but collectively they were a mess. It led to a, a collision, and it could have been, there could have been fatalities. She was driving recklessly, and she ended up spending time in jail for it. Um, 
So, so uh, there's these two extremes, right? Um, you know, the silliness of, of learning how not to canoe, and then things that have life and death consequences, how not to, to break up with your boyfriend and move home. And, and most of us are somewhere in between. Most of us don't have those kind of life and death decisions hanging on our, our decisions. But um, they're not always the silly things we can kind of shake off and say, well, oops, you know, don't, don't do it that way. Most of us live somewhere in between, that there's, there's, there's kind of medium-sized problems that we face, and, and they can be anywhere. They can be, you know, at home, in our relationships. They can be, you know, at work. Uh, you know, what do I do about this problem at work? And the one decision maybe wasn't the best decision, but it leads to another one that is kind of trying to fix that problem, and then that leads to another one, and pretty soon you're really not where you want to be because you've kind of drifted off course one decision at a time. And at least in my experience, where you usually discover that is after you hit the bank, after you, you, you know, fall out of the boat, after, you know, the boss says, how come this project is so far late, or, or whatever the situation is, um, after you've stayed, uh, stayed out and not studied three nights in a row and the test comes and you flunk the test, you know, it's when you're there, when you're in the ditch, you say to yourself, well, how did that happen? And I think particularly if you're, if you're a person of faith, that's usually the point where you say, hey, where was God? You know, how come God didn't rescue me from this? How come, how come God didn't save my bacon? Because clearly I can't save it myself. And, and we, we can ask that. And, and when we do, I think if we don't ask it, it's probably because we realize it's whiny, right? It's a whiny question. It's like casting around for blame. It's not my fault that I didn't study. Um, somehow God should have studied for me or something, right? So, so it is. It is a whiny question, but it's also a great question. And we're going to see that in our lesson today. I've been, I've been looking at these passages from David's uh, story, calling it the, the summer blockbuster series. All these uh, great things David did, they're all uh, bigger than life stories that David carries out. And, uh, and the thing with David is he is bigger than life. When he does something right, it's so good. You can just go, wow, David, that's so great. And when he does something wrong, you just go, David, you're such a jerk. And, you know, the Bible doesn't pull any punches with David. He's, he's good and he's bad. He's, he's, he's a man of extremes. And that's what makes him so easy to learn from. So David, um, David is, is uh, uh, dealing in this story today with, with uh, the king of Gath. And... Um, uh, at first reading, I think it's easy to look at this as look at the clever David outfoxing that silly old king of, king of Gath, right? First, he outfoxes him by pretending to be crazy and drooling and, and you know, he gets away clean. And then now he, he outfoxes him uh, by killing every man, woman and child in his wake. And I think at that point, as soon as you get to that point, you go, wow, that's not, that's not really outfoxing. That's, that's, that's clever, but it's kind of terrible. And I think that that's what the writer wants us to do, is to realize these are two different stories. And, and there's other things that we haven't had the time to go back and look at, um, but, but I'll, I'll point them out as we go. David, David says in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. David is afraid, okay? David's human. He's got the king of Israel who's got army out hunting for him, and he's afraid. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. He knows at some level, God has anointed him to be king. He knows that he's got a bright future, but he has a moment of fear, and he decides that Saul's going to kill him. But then he does something else, and again, we haven't had the chance to go back and look at it, but when he got back from Gath the last time, a prophet came up to him and said, stay in Judah. 
Don't pull that stunt again. Stay in Judah. Don't go off to uh, Gath. Don't go back to the land of the Philistines. So David says, I'm afraid of Gath. I'm afraid of Saul. So I am going to flee off to this foreign country. Now he's obeying, disobeying God there, but he's doing something also. I mean, this is like if it's World War II and you say, um, you're an American and you say, I know a great place to hide out from the government. I'm going to go to Berlin. Well, yes, that would work. Okay, FDR could not catch you in Berlin because you're in Nazi Germany and we're at war with Germany and we can't catch you there. So it works. But what would you say about somebody who hid from his own government in the foreign country where, he, where his, his, his nation was at war with? That's exactly what David does. They're at war with the, the, the Philistines and he goes off to the Philistine capital city. Well, of course Saul can't catch him there. So Saul despairs. Right? David, David successfully flees to the enemy side. And we are supposed to, I think, say that's kind of an extreme solution, David, but, but okay. And then, and then what happens? Saul says, okay, I'm not going to catch you there. And then what does David do? David goes back home to Judah, where he's supposed to be all along. No, he does not. David hangs out. He says, I'm liking it here in the land of the Philistines. I'd like to stay here. How about if you give me a town where I can make my base of operations? And King Achish says, sure, I'll give you Ziklag. So he goes to Ziklag, him and his 600 men and all their families, and he makes that the base of operations. He becomes kind of a warlord in that region. Um, or really, honestly, more of a pirate, because pirates know that dead men tell no tales. So David kills all the men, and then he doubles down by killing all the women, too. And in fact, in case we miss it, they tell us that twice. It says in verse, um, verse 9 that he left neither man nor woman alive. And then again in verse 11, it says David left neither man nor woman alive. The writer wants us to be thinking about this. Is David doing what God wants? And the answer is, of course, no. We read this and we say to ourselves, what happened to the good David? What happened to the David, the little kid who took on the giant with just a sling? Where is that David? What happened to him? And I think as we read this passage, a better question is where is God? Where is God in this story? Because you see, in the entire chapter, God is not in the story. God is not anywhere to be found. God is not consulted. And God does not endorse any of the things that David does. David walks away from God. He doesn't, he doesn't make a decision. He doesn't say, I'm going to become an agnostic. He doesn't say, I'm going to become an atheist. He doesn't walk away from God in the sense of becoming convinced that God doesn't exist. He just decides day by day, bit by bit, that God is irrelevant. God makes no difference in his life. And bit by bit, he drifts further and further off course until he's in a situation where he is operating in the enemy territory like a pirate, lying to his liege lord, saying, I attacked Judah and Judah's uh, uh, allies. Really, I attacked uh, um, Egypt, and I'm going to cover for that by just killing everybody and leaving nobody to testify. David never asks, where is God? What would God have me do in this situation? God is never consulted. And so David gets further and further off course. 
I think the lesson for us is very clear. We should be asking that same question that David should be asking. Where is God? Where is God in my life? You know, when, when we're, we're, we're going to stay out and, and have fun instead of studying for the test, we should be asking ourselves, is God really in this? And if so, what would God have me do? Maybe God wants you to have fun one night, but maybe not the last three before the test. Ask yourself, where is God in this? When you're in a situation at work, you say to yourself, where is God in this? It's an easy question. Uh, where, where is God in my life? Years ago, um, the, uh, the radio station Caleb had, had um, this song that was in um, high rotation. They played it every day right when my alarm went off and I always heard Nicole Mullen uh, screaming that she called on Jesus. And this line has stuck with me ever since then. She goes, When I call on Jesus, mountains are going to fall because he'll move heaven and earth to come rescue me when I fall. It's a great song. I, I love that song. And I probably not a day, honestly, not a day goes by that I think about it because it is so easy to drift. And the problem with drifting is it turns into a skid and then it turns into an accident. And so we should find ways to ask ourselves, how can I call on God now when I have minor, ordinary, everyday problems instead of later when they're big, terrible problems? I am the future king of Israel and I have just spent the last 16 months in enemy territory um, making a stink of myself. The Bible, the, our translation says, he's made himself utterly abhorrent. Uh, the, the biblical language actually says, he's made himself a stink in the nostrils of Israel. Okay, and I agree. David is not behaving in a very pleasant smelling way here. David is, David is behaving stinky here. So the lesson for us is ask, where is God? Have I consulted God? Has God endorsed what I'm doing? And if David can do it, so can we. And the problem is, David doesn't, and oftentimes we don't. So ask, where is God? Because it's never too late. But the flip side of that is it's never too early. We can always be asking, where is God? I wonder, this is just me thinking... I wonder, David has got 600 men here with him, and I wonder if part of the reason he doesn't ask for, for God's guidance is because of his insecurity. I wonder if he's thinking to himself, if I consult God here, they'll think I'm a ditherer and I can't make up my mind. They'll never think I'm a great leader if I go to God. And, and the reason I think that is because I think that myself. It's, it's paradoxical. It's crazy that a pastor would think that. You should be saying, what kind of leader doesn't go to God? But I have caught myself asking that same question. And, and I, I, I certainly know I used to think that way before I became a pastor. It is easy for us to say, people won't look to us if we go to God. But they're going to look to us anyway. And the question is, what are they going to see? And when David looked to God, people saw a hero. If you think back to when he took on Goliath, what did he say? The same God who rescued me from the mouth of the bear and the paw of the lion will rescue me from you, Goliath. He knew that God was in his life, and he wasn't afraid to say so. People are watching us anyway, so if they're going to watch us, let them watch us lean into God. I think, honestly, there's no better way to get God to act in our lives than to do that, because, see, it brings glory to God. When we say, I don't have a clue, I don't know how we're going to get out of this problem, 
but God does. I have great faith in God. I think what that does is it gives God an opportunity where if it fails, it's on God, and if it succeeds, it's on God. And it's not that God cares one way or the other if everybody is is worshipful and saying, oh, how wonderful God is. I think what God wants is everybody to know that he's only a call away. God wants everyone to know how much he loves them and how quick he is to respond. So when you give him glory, when you say, I don't know, I don't know how I got this, I don't know how I got into this situation, but I know how I'm going to get out. I'm going to ask God for help. That's when God is most likely to act. If we don't drift, we, if we do drift, if we keep drifting, eventually a drift becomes a skid and a skid becomes an accident. But it's never too late to call on God. And it's never too early. Thanks be to God. Amen.